I figured it out. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you guys. I didn't push the button and I was just talking and I was like, I don't know what's not, why things aren't happening. But I figured it out. I know what I'm doing now. We are now live for our first um, Common Humanity podcast conversation. I'm going to tag a couple of you who said that they might show up and told me to remind you because I can do that and see if I can get, well, come on, I'll wave at you and then do, 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 just going to talk to myself while pushing these buttons. I want to invite you. Um, hey, Megan, see if you can. Oh, never mind. I found a button. Yeah. Boom. Did it. Figured it out. It's It's been a minute. And I've never been the one in charge of any of the lives that I've done. I've always been the guest. So, Megan, you should have received your invite. And... If not, I will send it to you again momentarily. I sit here and sing to myself. Bam. Okay. So now we wait. So... Um, I guess this is my turn to spiel. This is the Common Humanity Podcast. This is our very, very first go at this. Um, and we are just here to have real human conversation, connect, and oh, unable to join. We're going to try again. Boop. Boop. I make sound effects. So you guys are just going to have to be used to that. Because that's who I am. And I'm all about authenticity. So, <laughs> like, I will happily let you be whoever you are, but I'm going to be me. And I make sound effects. Because sound effects make the world go round. That's not actually true. That's more like a gravitational pull and all sorts of other things. But we're not here to nerd out on gravity. We are here to have real human conversation. Do, do, do. So, just so you guys all know, where this came from, well, one, I feel like our world is lacking deep conversation. Um, we definitely talk a lot, but I don't think we talk very deep <laughs> anymore. And um, I would like to change that, because I like honest, raw, like, real, and... That's, yeah, that's just what I enjoy in life. Do, do, do. Inviting you again. See if this is going to work. <laughs> Gosh. It made me do it like twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's because it's technology and it wants to make our lives difficult. It was not happy with me the first time, clearly. 
<laughs> so first question, how are you today, Megan? Oh, I was very nervous about this. <laughs> so we, we'll see how this goes. It will be, I mean, perfectly fine. Did you hear me? I just like spent, I don't even know how many minutes talking to myself. So that's, and, yeah. And then I did that beforehand when I thought I'd push the button and I hadn't. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's your first one learning curve, right? Yes. Like I said, I've never been the one in charge of any of the lives I've been on. I've just been the one that pushes the button and comes in and I'm like, hi. <laughs> so I've been in your shoes. I've never been in my shoes. Um, so we're going to go on this super fun walk together. <laughs> okay. So we're going to jump right in. Um, Megan, give me a quick rundown of who you are and whatever that means to you in this moment. Uh, I am losing my mind. Uh, we'll, we'll just start there. Um, and sorry, I have a cat who can't decide what she wants to do and she needs to stay here or go away and not perch on the edge of the couch like a maniac. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know who I am anymore. Do I do? Does anybody know who they are anymore? I think we've all kind of lost, <laughs> maybe lost some of that in the pandemic. Um, there. Uh, so I am a student again, um, after a long time off, which has been interesting and, uh, mom and hockey mom, very specifically. That's, that's like, <laughs> it's a very specific thing. breed. It's, yes. Um, which is fantastic. I love it. So glad my kids didn't play like soccer. <laughs> no offense. I think yours play soccer. Yeah. No, I'm um, else too. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing you like you go to a frozen ice rink where it's always cold, but then there's heaters that can blow on you. Right. And this is going to be our first season of like bigger kids soccer where they're playing in like March and April. No, so you. we're going to go out in Wyoming spring, no, thank you. which is three feet of snow and you just play, but there are heaters like we're, uh, my family and I, we're going to, we've decided because my nieces play too. We're going to be one of those people that have like those, those human tents where you just like pop it up and like have a we're just gonna take like ice fishing huts with us wherever we go and we'll just take those to soccer games that's fair because we don't ice fish everyone <laughs> says that hockey it's so cold you're at an ice rink all the time and i was like well it's in the winter so it's cold anyway and yeah. at least it's indoors <laughs> yeah so. yeah i i was also not thrilled when my children love soccer because it is my it's the sport that I'm worst at so I'm like you're Sorry. you're past four years old you're better than me I can't help you anymore <laughs> I don't know man like and I don't understand I not even don't understand the rules I haven't tried to understand the rules because it's not my jam so I get, I get that like I just watch and I'm like cool yup <laughs> whereas like every other sport I'm like super nerded into it I'm like oh my god this is what just happened I could watch baseball for hours but I'm a softball player so <laughs> yeah okay so hockey mom any what and, else and literacy nerd now I am I am I'm totally my brother's used to like make fun of me all the time we were growing up because I just I would read all the time 
read all the time, constantly. I was a nerd, geek, got that from my brothers all the time because, you know, they didn't care about academics like at all. So, um, but I've fully embraced <laughs> that I am that person now. Um, I mean, getting, getting a master's in reading science is about as geeked out on reading as you can go. So here yeah. we are. That sounds, I mean, super interesting. I wouldn't want to do it. Um, I love reading, but that's not like my, my jam. This is the sort of the conversation that got, got, got you to agree to be my first guest, <laughs> right? On Facebook the other day is I, we were talking about something like a conversation I had with my uncle or something. And like that whole, we have a wide breadth, breadth, breadth. I can't say that word. <laughs> Uh, a, a width of um, <laughs> knowledge, but not a depth of knowledge and how we need to get back to like that idea that having, having experts in things like true experts and people who dive deep into information. Like I love the information that I've gotten from you. I don't know that I would want to ever research it, but I love like somebody who fully understands it, who can put it in layman's terms for me right. because uh, if we're talking powerlifting, I can tell you all sorts of really complicated things all day. Um, but when it comes to reading, like I'm terrible at teaching my kids to read. It's most people are. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and to be perfectly honest, this is this is not a dig at teachers. This is a total dig at universities and how they prepare teachers. There's a lot of teachers that aren't prepared to teach reading. In all honesty. Um, and like really geek out for you here um, in the 1970s this gentleman named Ken Goodman came up with this theory that we learned that we didn't have to learn how to decode the words that we learned words as a whole piece not the individual letter components okay and so it was called whole language and the processes behind his theory sounded so much easier than what we had been doing in the classroom that teachers are like, Oh, well, let's give this a try. Mm -hmm. And it went like wildfire across the entire world. Um, Cause there was also a lady about the same time in Australia named Marie Clay, who was kind of in that same, um, same place with her research. Um, but, you know, at some point, people really started pushing back and saying, actually, this is literally just a theory. None of the studies that have ever been done can prove it, can prove that this is a thing that works at all. I mean, he got so far down this little rabbit hole of his that, um, you know, if a kid is reading a book and the word on the page is horse, but they say pony because they use the picture and the context of the story, to guess mm -hmm. at the word that they don't know, because that's truly what it ends up being is guessing at the words you don't know. Um, that's close enough. That's close enough. They read, if they say pony and the word was horse, that's okay. They, they get the gist of it and you can move on. Um, like, well, that's, that's all well and good, but what kind of attorneys and doctors are we going to have? Right. Like years. If close enough is good enough. I'm like, I, I'm, I don't think I want that, that attorney representing me. <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, I feel like it makes sense in, like, young readers who still have pictures in their books, but 
I haven't had pictures of my books for a long time. And right. so like try funny. reading the Hobbit and not like, I can't even pronounce the things in the Hobbit. <laughs> I just, I just make it up. And I'm like, I don't have to say it out loud. It's fine. <laughs> but <laughs> like, and that happens a lot. And, and that's, so this conversation comes up in our house a lot too now. Um, uh, when we, when we kind of realized that Grayson was dyslexic when he was, mm -hmm. you know, middle towards end of first grade, um, you know, we start reading about it and there's a huge genetic component to any of the, the dis learning pieces. So there's dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia. And um, so it's reading, writing, and math. And we, you know, we're kind of looking at it. And I was like, well, I never really struggled with reading as a kid. Um, to my knowledge, I don't remember too terribly much about kindergarten. I've had some, some fun flashbacks. <laughs> with kindergarten worksheets the last, the last several years of my life. But I, otherwise, you know, it wasn't a big, a big thing that I noticed. Um, but then, you know, we're talking to my mother-in-law's like, oh, well, you know, Justin did Hooked on Phonics when he was in elementary school. And I was like, oh, there it is. There's our genetic component. But at the same time, the more research I did, the more I looked into dyslexia. Um, I share a lot of those traits. Um, mm -hmm. A, a lot enough that I was asking my friends who kind of helped us, you know, figure out what was actually happening with Grayson and kind of started us down the path of how to get him help. I was like, is it possible that I learned to read fairly well, but I'm actually dyslexic? And she's like, it's totally a thing. If your teachers knew what they were doing and knew what to look for and knew how to kind of jump ahead of any issues um, that they saw you were heading for, then yes, by all means, you could also be dyslexic and never have realized it and learn to read just fine because there is a way you can teach dyslexics how to read. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not how we teach the kids in our school systems today. Right. The vast majority of schools. Because in the 1970s, Mr. Goodman thought horse and pony were close enough to be okay and kids could just guess the words and sail through life because that's how. But so kind of coming back to Justin as we've gotten into these conversations, he's like, how do I, how do I read? He's like, I, <laughs> it's like, I'm an attorney. I made it through law school, but I don't understand how I read anymore. He's like, he, he's, now he second guesses himself. So mm -hmm. like specifically like people's names, things, words that he's had memorized for years, but they maybe don't follow the typical spelling pattern for those letters. And he's like, now I have to check myself all the time. I have to double check like everything. He's like, what have you done to me? And I was like, so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I feel like that's definitely like our house with ADHD. It's just like, mm, is this like a, a family trait or is this just because we all have ADHD? <laughs> <laughs> right. Which I mean, could be exactly the same thing. Cause that's also very genetic. <laughs> right. Right. It's all it's and. I was like, yeah, no, so, so, so sorry to have undermined all of your word memorization for years, because that's how he's survived instead of, mm -hmm. you know, truly being able to decode and know the spelling patterns and all of that good stuff. He's literally just memorized thousands upon thousands of words, which is like mind blowing to me. I, my memory is not that good. Like, it's a good thing. I learned how to read properly or I would have been in a lot of trouble. Which I, there yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, you know, it starts to make a little bit more sense. There's a lot of people um, 
around our age-ish mm -hmm. and younger that really seem to struggle with general life skills sometimes. And I think a lot of it comes back to, did you ever actually learn how to read? Yeah, I mean, literacy is a huge component to pretty much all aspects of life. Like it's, it's street signs, it's grocery store, it's, yeah, it's literally it's, everywhere. And yeah, I, I mean, I think I probably almost say survived <laughs> that because my mom's a teacher and she's like a super nerdy teacher. And so she like to this day with my kids, she breaks down words. She like, she nerds out over all of it and she under like, she fully understands all of it. So she just talks about it. Like it's no, like she talks about reading like learning how to read and sense sentence structure and word structure as if it's just like normal conversation. So I feel like that's probably how I survived that <laughs> because right, right. I, it was just I definitely there. didn't get it from my teachers. I mean, I, we were, my brother and I were relatively early readers, right? And cause probably again, teacher as a parent, <laughs> um, all we did was read. Um, but like, I remember when we moved to Cheyenne, I had a lot of like ESL kids in my class and they were struggling. And so they're like, you can read yeah, like, this is your free reading time. We need to focus on these kids who need more help. And whether it's like just basically learning how to read or learning how to read English, which is going to be a totally different thing. Um, that was definitely my experience in elementary school. It was just like, okay, you've got the basics. You're kind of on your own now. And um oh hey look john is joining us i'm sorry <laughs> i get distracted but yeah i think that's um that's a huge piece so can you tell me real quick what what would you say are the biggest i mean you mentioned like street signs grocery stores where do you think statistically i saw one of these on your post um literacy comes into play in our society I don't even know how to answer that. Um, it's so, it's very broad. It's very broad. Um, but so I will say this, I, I um, the Barbara Bush Foundation, there's more to it than that. I'm forgetting names. There's that dyslexia business. Um, they did a study a couple years ago, came out in like 2020, um, where if we could get every adult in the United States reading at a sixth grade reading level minimum, uh, the nation's GDP would jump by 10%. It's like, <laughs> it's like $2 trillion because their income, you know, their ability to generate income would jump mm -hmm. to that extent. And I mean, it's huge. And if like, <laughs> it's very hard, it's not impossible, but it's much harder to teach an adult to read than it is to teach a kindergartner the basics and where to start. And so our school systems in this country to, to have that many adults, not at a sixth grade reading level is really kind of terrifying. Yeah. Um, that was the thing that jumped out to me too. They're like, how, how many adults don't have a sixth grade reading level? A lot. So the, um, you know, they say we're at like a 99% literacy rate, however they calculate that. But 
like what are you calculating that off of like third grade reading level is that is that what you're happy with because that's not really what I'm happy with <laughs> well I mean think about a third grader trying to fill out a job application or write a resume but so my not very my good. best friend got her first degree in journalism and like they essentially told her like you need to use smaller words like you have to write at a fourth grade reading level yeah. in order to be a journalist and I'm just like you go and get a master's to write at a fourth grade reading level because that's what the majority of people can read at. Well, and it's, so it's shocking. It's not just journalism. Um, I, I just did, uh, uh, totally lost the name of one of my, one of my last classes was a lot about like comprehension and teaching kids how to, um, get further into reading comprehension. And so it's textbooks too. Mm -hmm. The textbooks, if you tried to read a textbook from the 1940s or 1950s today versus today's text, the difference is like astronomical. I mean, it's, we have dumbed it down at every grade level across the board. Our textbooks aren't even up to where they used to. And like, you wonder why we're so far behind the rest of the world in like every possible academic category. And reading is the basis of all of that how can you get very far in science if you can't read right you can't read the journals and the technical um, papers that are out there and same in math I mean it's it's everywhere you have to be able to read to do literally every other subject and right. <laughs> I gotta say I'm I'm pretty decent at math but I'm really terrible at word problems <laughs> <laughs> like those those words don't belong in math. Math is its own language. We don't need to use English. <laughs> well, so and that's so, you know, you know, ADHD, dyslexia, dysgraphia, all of it, it's, it's neuro, neurodiversity. Right. Right. It's, there's something different in the wiring of your brain for all of those things. They, they all kind of live in the same realm um, because it's not, and this is another rabbit hole, but someday it'd be really nice if like the healthcare world and insurance companies kind of caught up with the fact that those things aren't an education issue. Those things are literally a brain neurological issue. <laughs> right. Stop covering them, please. It's so expensive. <laughs> please. <laughs> um, but it all kind of lives in that same space. And so like math for me was awful. Um, Awful. Lots of tears. Third grade multiplication tables. Lots and lots of tears. Um, I remember our elementary school used like the little dots on the numbers to teach mm -hmm. kids how to count and, you know, all of that good stuff. Um, I used those dots through most of elementary school. Those, those were an overlay image for me every time I saw a number that I had to add or subtract. Like it was just automatic. I was still counting dots in like sixth grade. Um, but now I know there's a name for that. That's the dyscalculia component. Mm -hmm. um, and it shares with dyslexia that ability to not remember people's names, um, you know, word recall and retrieval all kind of coexist and intermingle between those things. Um, and then the other piece that's interesting is dysgraphia, which may also very well fit me because um, my mom, like, she has the prettiest, like, you know, scripty handwriting. And she used to give me so much crap all the time because my handwriting is awful. For a girl, it's awful. And she gave me such a hard time in elementary school. And I was like, 
this is what you get. My mom still gives me crap to this day. <laughs> literally all my hands can do. What do you want for me? Um, that's dysgraphia. And the ability to have trouble to get your thoughts onto the page. So writing for me was not super great. I remember in high school, they tried to make us all, it was an AP English class. They're like, you're going to go to the computer lab and practice writing. And we're all going to do like 30 minutes of writing time about a book we're reading. I'm like, do I have to do it on the computer? <laughs> as awful as my handwriting is, like, I can't make my thoughts hit the page so, in the same way. Right. So a question on that. So in, with the dysgraphia, is there, do you know if there's a difference between being able to write like with handwriting versus a computer and if that's different because I've noticed like when I type there and it could just be because I'm a bad typer but there are certain words that every time I type them I type them wrong and then I like I can recognize afterwards I'm like well those went in the wrong order then I have to go back and like reorganize the letters because I know what it's supposed to be but that's not how it naturally comes out of my brain. So my right hand will type faster than my left hand. Mm -hmm. So I have that trouble a lot. I get letters swapped because one hand gets ahead of the other. Um, and, and it is a dyslexia, dysgraphia that, that all feeds in. Handwriting is better. Handwriting, like the fact that we've gotten away from handwriting as a society is mm -hmm. starting to get a little more terrifying to me because everything sticks in your brain better. Um, typing is okay. It's, it doesn't, like, you can type your notes and it's all right, but there's been some studies that at, like, college level where, you know, this class, same course, same professor, this class all had computers that they had to take their notes on, and this class all had to handwrite their notes. And the amount of recall of information um, and the ease of recall of information at the end of the class for the kids who hand wrote their notes versus the kids who typed their notes was hands down above board better. Um, it's yeah. not that the kids with the computers did poorly, but the kids who hand wrote did so much better than well, the kids with the computers. It's like a, a pretty standard study tip that, that you can give out to people. Say, hey, if you really need to study for a test, like hand write what right. you need to know. Write it over and over again because there's, there's like a somatic connection when your body is doing it, your like your body literally will remember it. Like your brain can't forget it because it acted it out. If that makes sense. So yes, it's kinesthetic. So one way, one way to really help um, struggling readers learn how to read is to make their, and you know, because there's so many ways to do it and there's not really a good way to study the actual action of it. It's called the Orton Gillingham method. Um, you know, the, the effect sizes aren't huge when people actually start studying it, but it's so hard to study it because literally every tutor, every teacher who uses that method could do it, does it differently. Like nobody's like, it's a, it's a total, there's a total style component to when you're doing it. So it's very hard to actually like hardcore study it to make sure that it is really the best way. But in theory, theory again, sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> in theory, it's all science is theory. So, right. So it's connecting multiple pathways. Right. So your, your kids with dyslexia and dysgraphia have a massive connection issue from the left side of their brain to the right side of their brain. All of your language, reading, writing pieces of language as well are all on the left side. 
Um, but for some reason, those pathways with kids with dyslexia are not fully formed. They're kind of glitchy. Um, it's just the connections aren't super strong. And so the brain tries to route everything to the right side because the connections on the right side are still okay, but that's not where language is supposed to be. So it's like a country road versus an expressway. And so like, so even handwriting gets caught into that because these kids are trying to push all of this information out. So the other thing we've lost with handwriting is cursive. Um, Not a lot of schools teach cursive anymore. And for dyslexic kids and dysgraphic kids, that's a game changer because they still have to learn it. It still has to be like explicitly taught to automaticity. Like they have to not have to think about it anymore when Mm -hmm. they're forming the letters, but you take away um, a huge cognitive load for those kids because now they don't have to think about where their letters start. Their letters always start on the baseline. They don't have to think about which way to move their letter because everything flows in the same direction if it's cursive. And it takes away a lot of the issues with spacing of letters and words because everything's connected. And so the cognitive Mm -hmm. load for a kid who's learned cursive versus manuscript, the difference is insane. Um, And the other nice little piece of that is that cursive is actually a right-brained kind of artistic endeavor. Mm -hmm. So it's on the side of their brain where their connections pathways are already strong. So it just takes way less effort, but nobody teaches it anymore. Even, even our school here in Cheyenne are like, oh yeah, we teach cursive in third grade. Gray hasn't started it yet. We're like, (laughs) like this was a thing. You're halfway through the school year and you haven't started it yet. Like, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I, up until this conversation, I have definitely been a like, oh, we don't need cursive. Also, I'm bad at cursive and it's very illegible and I never fully learned it. So it's one of those things like I don't, I don't like participating in things that I'm bad at, which is why I don't play soccer. Um, (laughs) Because I don't like being beat by five-year-olds. Um, but like you say that and I, and it, it's one of those things, like it brings that new perspective. Like there, there was a purpose for it and we, we've forgotten what that purpose was. And maybe we didn't even know what that purpose was. Like when, when they taught cursive, it was the norm. So nobody thought like, Hey, if we take this out of curriculum or, stop using it as a society it's not going to have a huge effect because it's just prettier handwriting right but when you say it like that that it actually like all of those things that you don't have to like essentially manually put together in order to understand letters and words that it becomes just how you write it which is again why i didn't like it because i never got to that point of that ease right or my mom has beautiful cursive handwriting right well she's from a generation where like it was very regimented Mm -hmm. you had to learn it and you had to do it well or you were gonna get like like my mom's in that same same boat you were gonna get your knuckles wrapped probably with a ruler if you weren't perfect now my dad escaped with like chicken scratch for handwriting which all makes so much more sense now because i'm like he's totally like he's older than my mom total generation where that would have been a thing Mm -hmm. and he would have had to have learned that and his handwriting is still awful like chicken scratch awful so i'm like 
All right. There's our genetic component. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. There, there's our genetic component. <laughs> yes. My uncle, we, we found out recently, um, one of my uncles is dyslexic that was never talked mm -hmm. about in our family. So one of my cousins also, she's the one who kind of outed him to my mom one day in a conversation. And we're like, you know, I, I could have looked at all six brothers from that family mm -hmm. and been like, yeah, he's probably dyslexic. Um, now, but it wasn't, you know, it was, and it was never talked about. And that, that was part of your conversation with your uncle too. The not talking about things right. and stigmatizing it because you don't talk about it does so much more damage than if you could just, you know, swallow your pride for a minute and put it out there. Yeah. Well, and that's, so side note, that's sort of where this idea for this podcast came from. Like we, we are all human and we all have human experiences and a lot of those experiences are similar and that's what connects us. And we have this bad habit of not talking about it as if we're all supposed right. to just handle our shit alone. And that's like, it's maladaptive. And so hopefully we can have conversations and be like, Hey, you're normal. I'm normal. We're all normal. Right. Right. Well, right. And, and it's like everything else. So everything happens on a continuum. Like there's no, there's no, there's no real black or white. Right. You know, there's every shade of gray in between. And it's the same with reading. I mean, it, so some schools really give you a fight and a lot of pushback about using the word dyslexia because there's no real good way to put a cutoff on what's just a, a poor reader mm -hmm. and a kid who's actually dyslexic. Like there's, there's no solid cutoff for that. And so, you know, so, so people will use that and kind of flip it and twist it, um, gaslight you to make mm -hmm. you to say it doesn't exist at all. Like we can't call it anything because there's no cutoff point for it. I'm like, I don't care what you call it. You can call it anything. Like, as long as you can something make else. how to read. <laughs> you can call it something else if that makes you yeah. feel better, but you still have a duty to teach kids how to read. Right. Like it doesn't matter what you call it. But then the flip side of that argument is if you have a kid who is severely struggling, most likely dyslexic, and you find these parents that are like, I don't want to label my kid. Mm-hmm. And that was we're my not, cousin. We're not, there's, there's nothing wrong with Johnny or Susie and we're not going to put, I, I'm not going to, you know, saddle my kid with this label for the rest of their life. Um, but what's amazing about those labels for kids, especially they've, they've realized long before their parents and long before their teachers that something wasn't the same for them. I mean, they notice it right away in kindergarten. They can watch the kid at the desk next to them getting all of these letters and sounds and words faster than they are, better than they are. And they know it. They see it right away. Um, I suspect Grayson started noticing things in preschool. There's some things about his behavior looking back that I think he realized in preschool things weren't the same for him. And he's not the two of my kids that struggled to learn the alphabet. <laughs> so <laughs> McKenna's been a bit of a terrifying terrifying experience now that we like know enough to be worried because um, right. she was four and she couldn't sing the alphabet song she didn't know the letters she didn't like no matter how hard we tried mm -hmm. and so she would have been she could have started kindergarten last year and she would have been extremely young kindergarten and she would have still been four for a couple weeks into the school year 
And um, they're like, no, no, <laughs> she still doesn't know her outfit. Like I can't put her in kindergarten in good faith, knowing, you know, having just watched what happened to Grace in kindergarten. Right. Um, where nobody realized. And he just kind of slipped under the radar. Um, you know, he did well enough that nobody caught that there was an issue. And I didn't know enough to catch the red flags in kindergarten. Um, but man, you would certainly hope that the teacher somewhere along the line would have learned what those red flags were. And they just don't. Universities just don't teach that stuff to the extent that they really need to. Um, like, so Grayson, sight words, like the high frequency words that they just have mm -hmm. to memorize. He'd know it one day and not the next. He'd look at it the next day like he'd never seen it before. And he just read it like three days in a row, perfectly fine, no issues, knew it every time he saw it. And today he looks at you like you're crazy when you're like, dude, you just read that yesterday. And he's like, I have no idea what that word is. You're like, <laughs> um, just thought it was kindergarten boy. Everyone just says, oh, they're just a boy. And that's not, that's not a thing. <laughs> that was, <laughs> I think the most, so when, when Sebastian got diagnosed with ADHD, like when he's like sitting there with his pediatrician and I, like, I went in, I was like, I know, he, like, he's a six, seven-year-old boy, six-year-old boy, I think at the time. Um, I know he's a six-year-old boy. Like, I know he's got a lot of energy. I know, blah, 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 blah. And he's literally running back and forth in the room, playing with the lights, climbing all over things. And his pediatrician was like, I treat thousands of six-year-old boys. And this is not just six-year-old boy energy. <laughs> and I was right. like... Okay, but so one thing I would like to talk about real quick is, so you had mentioned before, um, dyslexia, ADHD, there's a couple other ones, so like autism and epilepsy, and I think there's one more that I can't remember off the top of my head that all kind of fit in that neurodivergent area. Um, there's also a lot of studies that show that there's, we'll say crossover, but core morbidities. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, if you have one, you ha might have a little bit of the other because they're all kind of on that spectrum, right? right? So it's interesting because there's a lot of like the bad handwriting or I just found out like last week that a, a symptom, I guess, of ADHD is having multiple handwritings depending on like where, like how relaxed your brain is and how comfortable you feel. Because like I have probably six different standard handwritings all right that's fascinating I, <laughs> um, I i have wondered about the adhd piece in in my family my mom thinks i'm completely crazy but my grandmother spent her entire life drinking black caffeinated coffee all damn day and never had trouble going to sleep <laughs> like we're talking 10 o'clock at night sipping on a cup of coffee and going to bed <laughs> that's, like, that's insane to me i don't drink caffeine ADHD. so that'd be <laughs> I'd be a crazy person. But the other part of those things um, that, and I feel like we've talked about this like way back in the past, um, but like Sebastian's lack of attention was maybe obnoxious to his teachers, but it wasn't an issue. His like superb energy levels were not the issue. That's not why I was like, I need to get my kid checked out for ADHD. It was because he had um, like lacked 
impulse regulation and lacked emotional regulation mm -hmm. and it becomes dangerous like it is people with adhd are i don't know the statistic but substantially more likely to develop um substance abuse issues to develop um like eating disorders and things like that so we had talked about that and it's like there's the part of it that's like yeah that's the the neuro not even neurodivergent part but just the neurological part of it but then there's a that other part the societal part where we don't we, we don't talk about it we don't um we don't factor those things in and have like on a regular basis I don't know about you. Um, most people, I would say, don't talk to their kids about emotional regulation. I know I wasn't like my emotional regulation as a child was don't do it. You're not allowed to ha feel things <laughs> like that was it. So like, I mean, Sebastian gets in trouble. Not as often this year. He's like he got suspended <laughs> four times in first grade. Four times. Um, and so our goal like Suzanne so behavior plans and things like that. We have systems put in place because I talked to him and I know him and he hit a kid first quarter, but didn't get suspended. Like it was his first like strike of the year, but he literally, he told me afterwards and the, the principal told me she was like, he, like his emotional um, awareness is just astonishing. I was like, right. Because every time this happens, we sit down and we talk about like, okay, you can't change what you did, but you can, you can make plans because there's going to be another time in your future that your, like your impulse is going to be saying this. And at some point you have to figure out how to counter that. Cause this last time it was, he was like, I felt like he was making fun of me. I got really frustrated. I hit him in the face. And then I said, sorry, I walked over to the teacher and I said, I impulsively hit him in the face. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I know what I did wrong. I know what I should have done. I just didn't figure That's it out amazing. before I acted. <laughs> and amazing. so, like, I'm super proud of him, right? Right. Um, I get that. I get that. So A couple of years ago, I was just like, the only thing he could be on a hockey team is an enforcer. Um, but he'd be really good at that. <laughs> Right, right. Um, yeah. So, so the other like so the dyslexia kids because they notice so early that things mm -hmm. are not the same for them. They're not as easy for them. A, not all of them, but a lot of times they like develop this hyper awareness of fairness. Mm -hmm. And Gray is so like, you know, he knows how many times each kid has been line leader compared to himself. And he knows how many kids have been recognized at school compared to him. Like he, like he is keeping track of that stuff, like hardcore. Um, and it comes out in hockey, actually. Um, it's totally fun. He did it like one of his very first, like little, little four-year-old Grayson out there with these other little four and five-year-olds. Um, it was a team in Colorado. They tend to be a little, you know, some of the, some of the some of the parents in Colorado are a little crazier, and their kids are a little crazier. Um, <laughs> not all teams, but some of them have been interesting. And this was one of those teams, and this kid was like throwing elbows and all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. And they don't call penalties at that age because 
too many kids are still learning how to skate and it's right. really hard to sometimes to decipher if it's intentional or not intentional. So they just don't call anything. And they give them, you know, they give them the grace of being eight and under kids. And that's fantastic. But occasionally you do see a kid and you do know it's intentional. And if the coaches see it, they'll call them out. And, you know, good coaches will even bench them for a bit and kind of, yeah. you know, enforce their own penalties. Um, but when that doesn't happen, Grayson is very aware, even at four, Grayson was aware. Um, and he didn't like, he never instigated anything, but if he saw a kid and they did it to him or even one of his teammates, he got in that kid's face. And the, if they were on the ice at the same time, the rest of that game, he was literally in that kid's face. So that kid couldn't do anything because Grayson was right there. Yeah. And if he got a little rough with Grayson, Grayson would get rough and throw his own elbow right back. And we're like, all right, you can't do that. <laughs> but really proud of you because you were standing up for your teammates. Like, good job. Yeah. Um, and so, like, we've, we've, we've had those conversations. And you can watch it now. Like, they were in a tournament in Rock Springs a few weeks ago. And he, like, totally turned into the Hulk out there. I'm like, oh, my God, where did this kid come from? Like, that's not Grayson. Like, holy crap. Like, he was just, like, zooming all over the place. Like, total, like, he-man, like you can't do that to my teammates kind of, uh, mentality. And it's great to watch and he gets to be successful somewhere because school was a struggle. But like you talked about the substance abuse and all that, it hits the, it hits the dyslexia kids the same way. I mean, mm -hmm. they notice, and if you don't give them, so this comes back to that label, if you don't give them the label of dyslexia or whatever issue they have, they immediately without anyone's help start to think, there is something wrong with me. Right. I must be stupid because how else do I not like understand this the way everyone else in the class does. And so it's, it's, it's crazy how fast that happens. And it like you, you give them the label because as soon as you tell a kid that has been struggling, especially the older kids that have been struggling for years, if you give them the label, and say, you're dyslexic. There's a reason why this has always been such a struggle. It's not you. It's something, you know, about your brain. It's genetic. It's not anything that you could have changed on your own alone. You needed adults to, to step up and do better by you. Then you lift a thousand pounds off their shoulders immediately because they don't have to feel stupid anymore because they aren't stupid. It's just, they needed to be taught a little bit differently for it to stick. Um, and that's the crazy thing with dyslexia. They've done some studies where these kids that are pretty severely dyslexic, they do an fMRI brain scan and have them do a reading task. And you can see what lights up and mm -hmm. what doesn't. Um, and it's pretty obvious what's missing. And then you put them in some pretty intensive remediation and teach them to read using structured literacy and it literally rewires. It will rewire everything for those kids and all the correct pathways will start to light up the way they're supposed to. And, you know, depending on how intense your remediation is, yeah. it'll be a pretty short, pretty short span of time before those kids' brains look like a normal, typical reader's brain. Um, well, I mean, that's the phenomenal thing about brains is they are plastic. They are, yeah. like, you can, you can continue, like, whether it's dyslexia, ADHD, trauma, like there's so many things 
that change the makeup of your brain, but you can always rewire it and you can, right. and that's not to say that it's easy by any means. But right. right. Well, the kicker, for, the kicker for that part is if you can catch it before third grade, it is hands down markedly easier to change than third grade and past. Um, like you can get a kid who's struggling first kindergarten and first grade, you know, caught up probably within a year with the right, right pieces for that student, what, what they're missing. Um, and that's the other, the other thing that everyone kind of, everyone in the education world kind of misses. Um, it presents so differently in every kid. Like there's quite a long list of red flags for all of those things, but not every kid is going to have the same, same traits and same characteristics. Right. Um, and it's going to present differently. So, so we had the, the time on task discussion um, in second grade with Grayson because the you know, comorbidity with dyslexia and ADHD is mm -hmm. something like 40%. Right. Um, 40, I, and I don't know if it matters which way it is. It's, there's, you know, 40% have both. And so, um, you know, we had, and we're like, all right, go ahead. So I'm like, <laughs> we already had our neuropsych eval in hand and they're like, he's not ADHD. And, and so, and, and he masks, masks everything he deals with at school really well. Like mm -hmm. he has fantastic, for the most part, fantastic public manners, not so great private manners. Um, he bottles it all up at school yeah. and then comes home and explodes. Yeah. Um, so, so we're working on some of that regulation bit or trying to figure out that regulation bit but like when we say anything at school they look at us like we're completely freaking crazy because he never acts like that there he will not show that side of himself to his teachers he's too embarrassed to do that to them but it's safe at home so at home we just let her fly um and that's been that's been really special but they <laughs> uh they did the time on task and then they never brought it up again and i was like gee, I wonder why it's because his time on task was fine it, unless it was a reading or writing task. Mm -hmm. So they figured out that the only time that he acted out or caused a disturbance or what have you was during reading and writing. And like, <laughs> yes, it's been, it's been very, um, but the trauma piece, you mentioned trauma. That's also really interesting for these kids. So, um, it, it all starts to incorporate really quickly and like they, you know, they catch on really quickly. Something's not the same and the substance abuse and all of like suicide, depression, all of that mm -hmm. is a huge thing for these kids because so, and this is one of those things where like it needs to be said, not enough people say it. Um, and Gray was coming home in first grade and making statements of self-harm. And it was all connected to the school piece and the reading. And I'm like, nobody talks about that. Nobody wants to admit, like, you feel like a bad parent, but it's not, it's not the parents. The school tries to tell you it's the parents. Um, a lot of times you didn't read to them enough at home. That's where they're struggling and all of that kind of mumbo jumbo. But I mean, he recognized, like, it does some, some pretty deep damage pretty quick. Right. And I, I mean, that's, that was the piece that got me to, get Sebastian evaluated because he was a six-year-old talking about ending his life and I was like that's 
I'm not okay with that. <laughs> um, and like they even told me because he was in kindergarten when COVID hit. So it was they at first they were like, we'll do his evaluation at the end of kindergarten. So we have a full year to look at. And then um, talking to like the office staff at the pediatrician and they were like, oh, well, since he's not in school, we'll just wait till next year. And I was like, we can't wait till next year. Like no. my, my kid is talking about hurting himself and he, he is six and he does not need to be dealing with those feelings. We need to find out what, um, cause that's what led me to ADHD was because I found out that it can like suicidal tendencies in young children are attached to those neurodivergent things. And it made me look at myself being like, okay, like I know that I felt that way as a child. And I just assumed it was because of like the abuse that happened to me, but this could be that other piece that there was also that, that internal, I feel like I don't belong. I feel like I don't understand. I feel like I like, I'm not good enough, like all of those things that internally happening because externally we were like not the same as the other kids around me. So like you said, whether you have a label for it or not, like, you know, right. In fourth, in fourth grade, I legitimately thought I was an alien because I was like, I don't fit in with any of these people. And then a year ago, I find out I have ADHD and like all of these things that I thought made me a complete weirdo and outcast are just how my brain works. And it like opens up a whole new world. Right. So well, and so it's fascinating. You tend to find like you find your people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's really it's been really fascinating to watch like the friendships that have maintained over the years and then to like look at things through this neurodivergent lens and be like oh that's why we're friends yeah. <laughs> and even like Grayson like you know some of the kids and like I so I've, I've tried to have tactful conversations now that I know what to look for and like mm -hmm. I like so for these kids dyslexic dysgraphic like both of them fall into this handwriting piece right um and so like, it's literally as easy as looking at the handwriting on the wall. So if you walk down the hallway in an elementary school and you look at, you know, whatever cute little story they had to write in class and the teacher put on the wall, you can literally pick out the kids that need to be assessed further for reading and writing issues. It is that easy. Even the dyslexic kids, their handwriting is going to show um, because their brain has got too much to think about. So their handwriting is always sloppier. Like, it looks like they write with their toes. Their spacings are always off. Their, their spellings, like, even the little, little kids that are still phonetically spelling all of their words, mm -hmm. they're going to drop entire sounds, like, out of those words. So to say, to try and write bump, it might just say bup. The M is going to disappear. Like, like, it's, so when their kids are dropping whole sounds out of their words, you have to be a little concerned. Um, especially when they hit first and second grade, if those sounds are still dropping, like that's a big deal. Their sentences are always shorter because it takes too much effort. They can't keep their working memory is usually impacted too. So they can't keep that much stuff sitting in their head and their hands can't mm -hmm. write fast enough to get it out. And so things get shorter. Sentences get shorter. Paragraphs get shorter. And like, it's literally like you can literally see it on the wall and so like he's had a couple of friends that I've 
like tried to have conversations with be like, Oh, we found out Grayson's dyslexic and like sharing all this stuff. And, you know, and just, and then yeah. one of the moms came back to me, like I had a conversation in first grade and I ran into her not too long ago and, you know, we've hit third grade and she's like, you know, he's done okay. And everybody's always said he's, his, his fine and his reading. And then we hit third grade and she's like, and it's been awful. And I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to tell you. Sorry. possibly good. Yeah. But that's, again, that's where being able to have these conversations and making it like something that we can talk about. So it's not so stigmatized because it is, it is just another part of being human. Like I would love to, I'll look up the statistic, but that I'm guessing that it's a pretty large percentage of humans are neurodivergent, which, you know, makes me go, what is normal? <laughs> right. So, right. Oh my gosh. Nothing, nothing is actually normal. There's no such there's thing. No such no, thing. Yeah. It's not a thing. The people who are normal are probably the most abnormal. Yeah. They just masked it really well. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the, there's something, there's something. Um, and so like, and the other thing is once you start to like recognize and kind of internalize a lot of this stuff, like I can like have small interactions with people and walk away going, yeah, <laughs> they're somewhere in the spectrum too. Yeah. <laughs> and my Justin's always like, would you stop it? He's like, you can't, you can't do that. You can't just say that person's dyslexic or whatever. And he's like, that. he's like, you, you don't know. And I was like, yeah, like I, I can pick out somebody with PTSD from a mile away. <laughs> so um, like, it's it's a thing. Like there's red flags everywhere that have nothing to do. Like you're talking about comorbidities. Yeah, speech is huge. Speech for dyslexic kids, it's huge. So like 20% of the kids who have see a speech path are dyslexic. If they're still on speech services by the end of first grade, it jumps to 80%. 80% of your kids still in speech by the end of first grade are dyslexic. Like it's crazy and nobody knows. Yeah. I, okay. We have, we have like a minute. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold that story. Um, is there anything else, like one last thing that you would want to say just to, if there was like a. Trust your instincts. Like, trust your gut. Doesn't matter what the teachers tell you. If you think something is wrong with your kid's education, push. Push it. Start reading up on it. Start doing your own research and push that school. And do everything in writing. Always email. Always, always in writing. Always in writing. But trust. Perfect. Trust your gut. I love that. Yeah, because I mean, you you know your kid better than anybody else does, except for maybe themselves. But um, probably even, uh, depending yeah. on the age, probably even better than themselves. <laughs> They're not quite self aware yet. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to see. Like, I don't know if it's going to kick us off, and if it does, we will. Um, I'm going to ask you one question from one of these cards because I feel like it. What is your Adam? Ah, uh, 28 seconds. What is your animal totem or what would it likely be? Oh, I hate that question. Sorry. <laughs> my, my one small space where I'm very PC 
and and I I I like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I don't I don't like to wade into those waters. Sorry. That's fine. That's okay. That's an honest answer. I'm good with that. <laughs> okay. Um, three seconds. Thank you very much. 